0: Uh, This summer, we're encountering Jesus in the various healing stories that are in the Gospels. And today, we're in the fifth chapter of John, beginning in uh, verse 1. After a short time, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there was in Jerusalem a pool near the Sheep Gate, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. It is surrounded by Five covered colonnades. A great number of disabled people, the the lame, the blind, and the paralyzed used to lie there. One who was there was a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him, he asked him, do you want to be well? And the man replied, sir, there is no one to take me and put me in the water when it is stirred, and so someone else gets in there ahead of me. Jesus looked at him and said, pick up your mat and walk. And at once he was cured, and he picked up his mat and he walked. Now the day on which this took place was the Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. For a number of years, this story really bothered me. Because uh, according to one of the versions of the Bible, uh, what happens is the angels stir the water up and then the first one in gets healed. And I wondered, why are the angels part of such a, a terrible system like that? Why would the angels be a part of this sort of scam? And it really bothered me that the angels would do this. Because first of all, uh, the water apparently was not stirred on regular uh, intervals. It's not like when you uh, you go to Yellowstone and you go to the ranger station and it tells you that old faithful will uh, erupt again at this time. And you've got a pretty good idea when it's going to happen. This you don't know. And secondly, when it does erupt, it's set up to favor that the least ill will get the best chance to get healed. So if I've got tennis elbow, i got a much better shot of getting in there and getting cured than you do if you're paralyzed. It's a system that's set up to benefit the already sufficient. It just seems arbitrary, capricious, and it bothers me that the angels would be involved in such a scheme as this. Well, apparently it bothers enough people uh, who were uh, writing the Bible Uh, Under God's direction, that in most versions today, the verse that says the angels stirred the water is now left out. If you notice, I recited to you this morning from the New International Version, and it skips verse 4 altogether. Apparently, a lot of people, including the Holy Spirit, have issues with this being attributed to the angels. Well, I've got some good news, and that is a recent archaeological discovery has found out that uh, this pool, which was about 35 feet deep, it's near the Sheep Gate, but obviously 35 feet deep, they're not washing their sheep in it, is actually located next to a a temple of Asclepius. Asclepius, as you may recall, was the Greek god of healing and worshipped in Rome and Greece and um, Asia Minor and then apparently even... In Jerusalem. And so it's actually uh, not something the Jews set up for healing, but may have been set up uh, by the Asclepian uh, devotees. And another thing that's uh, interesting about this is that we found that the water that gets troubled may have one of two sources. One is nearby springs, uh, maybe feeding it and causing it intermittently. To erupt, And the other one is that King Herod the Great, who built a system of cisterns to uh, try to hold and capture as much uh, water as he could, just like he did at Masada, has a system that sets up, and it doesn't always function efficiently, and so occasionally, because of the cistern system, it erupts um, intermittently at irregular uh, times. And some of you know I have a great interest in King Herod, and I like to blame everything that's wrong on him, so we're just going to pin this one on him. So it's got nothing to do with God or the angels, this system. And also that interesting is this. When Jesus comes up and finds the man who has been invalid for 38 years, what Jesus says to him is, Do you want to be made well? Well, that's a great question, and I've heard all sorts of sermons, and there's even a little blurb in our bulletin today uh, that make use of that. It's, it's a great question to think, well, if you've been ill 38 years, it might really change your life to be healthy, and do you really want to be made well? And, I'm, and it's sort of a rabbinic question. It gets people involved in their own healing But I also, I think uh, it's been subject to all sorts of psychoanalysis through the years. And so uh, often people, uh, we talk about that they want to stay in their victim state. They don't want to be made well. And we go back to this verse. And and those are all interesting sermons. But I don't think that's what this is about. The fact of the matter is there are sleeping temples uh, all over the world. And they really are known as like the Mayo Clinics of their day. Trust me, friends, people travel thousands of miles to get to one of these. It's got to work on occasion, or they wouldn't do that. But when you're in the waiting room, and I know this because I was at a large Asclepian temple in Pergamum. Remember the letters to Revelation? One of the letters is to Pergamum. There's a, a large Asclepian healing temple there. When you're in the waiting room, before they even process you, the first question they ask is, do you want to be well? It's not an original question with Jesus. It goes back to the people functioning there at the temple. And it just reminds me that this very arbitrary, arbitrary, inefficient system of healing isn't one that God made up. But it's one that the best minds of the day at the Mayo Clinic made up. And apparently it worked on occasion. So I'm not going to blame the angels for this one. But well, what about the victim? Doesn't he play some part in this? I mean, 38 years, I don't know how many times over 38 years he's gone to um, uh, be by the pool. Obviously enough to know from experience that he's likely not to get in there. I mean, amazed, it's amazing that this guy would spend as much time and energy on something that doesn't work for him. You and I, of course, would never do that. We would never make the same mistake over and over And over and turn to things looking for them to help only to find they don't really help at all. But he did. He did. I know you've heard the definition of insanity, which is to do the same thing over and over and expect different results. So here he is there by the pool again, expecting different results. Why would he do that? I mean, what you have really is a case of medical powerball. I mean, the the opportunity for him to be healed is really very slim. So why does he take it time after time after time? Well, I think obviously he takes it because he's desperate. And when you're desperate enough, you'll look anywhere, even to systems that don't work very well. When you're desperate, you'll do that. And I think the other answer is he has no clue who Jesus is. He doesn't know that there is help available somewhere and in someone else we know he doesn't know who jesus is because when jesus comes nasty want to be made well he tries to get jesus in on the scheme he said well yeah if you just you know hang around and take me in when the water is stirred but you know i can't point the finger at that guy without pointing it at me how many times in my life have i suffered emotionally or spiritually or even physically and i've looked to some pool before I've ever looked to Jesus. How many times when I haven't felt well, I thought, well, gosh, if I could just do something that somebody would notice, and then I'll feel better about myself. And so I do it and somebody notices and I feel better for about five minutes. And then it's back in the same rut. How many times have I run across a problem in my life that I just know somewhere in the bookstore, there's a self-help book somewhere online. There's an article that's going to solve this for me if I just read the right one. And I read it and read another one and the issue remains. How many times have I looked to the pool only to find that the pool fails more often than not? I can't point fingers at that man who'd been invalid 38 years because I do the same thing. I put my confidence and hope and stuff that time after time fails me. Isn't that what happens with our addictions, whether they're like to caffeine or to something else? They don't really make us any better. We wake up the next day with the same issue. I can't point the finger at him. I've got to look in the mirror. You know, it's not that. I mean, I've been a Christian since I was 16. It's not that I don't know about Jesus. I mean, that's an excuse the man has that I don't have. But I realize when I look at my life, I've sort of treated Jesus like hamburger helper. Have you ever used that? It kind of advertises that, you know, you can you know, take this and throw it into what you got, you know, and you're going to mix the two things together and it'll come up. It'll be something. And so I'll take these books or these answers that I'm trying and then I'll they're not working and I'll try to throw Jesus and stir it up a little. See what happens. Prophet Jeremiah saw this enough that this is what God said through the prophet Jeremiah. Chapter 2, remember Jesus will in the Gospel of John say, I'm the living water. And this is what Jeremiah says about that. He says, I've got two problems with my people in Israel. The first problem is this, is I'm the living water and they won't come to me to drink. And the second is this, they dig cisterns to hold their own water. They have cracks in them. They won't come and use what I've provided. And the stuff that they want to build just doesn't work. I think that often is a description not just of the people of Israel. It's a description of the invalid. It's the description often in my life. Pastor Maurice Boyd makes this observation. Why is it that even for the Christian, everything else always looks more attractive than Jesus? If I could just study this or I could just try this and we do that before we even take that to Jesus. There are two things that I think are very interesting, though, about this story that I want you to know. The first one is this. Jesus walked by a lot of lame, blind, and paralyzed people to get to this man. There are a lot of people around that pool that day that didn't get healed. We have to remember that healing, instantaneous healing... It, Healing that we easily attribute to God is rather a mystery. That there's no set way, set pattern, guarantee. Sometimes, for whatever reasons, God walks past us to give someone else that instantaneous one and leaves us to continue to work with God on where we are. That's the first thing. You need to know is that I'm not saying that there's instant guarantee for any of you today. But what I am saying is when you do find healing and health, it will be in Jesus. So we ought to go there. But here's the second one. I think it's also interesting. Jesus walks into the Sisclepian temple and he doesn't shut it down. Not only does he not shut it down, he uses their question. Later in the gospel, he'll use one of their methods. He'll spit on the ground, make some mud and put it on a person's eye. It's exactly what they did in Pergamum. They had eye salve and they put it for healing. Notice what Jesus does. He doesn't throw out the Asclepian methods. He shows them that the source of all healing is Jesus, and that he heals outside of their methods and within their methods. In other words, it is no disgrace to visit Asclepius. The disgrace is to visit Asclepius in place of Jesus. Oftentimes it is the Asclepian model. Oftentimes that Jesus has set up for our healing. And so I might pray about an ailment day after day after day and Jesus may finally say, you know, have you taken the aspirin? (laughs) Did you make an appointment with a physician? I might struggle with an issue day after day after day. And Jesus might say, have you spoken with a counselor? Have you shared with a trusted friend? Have you allowed the community to help? Oftentimes the healing that Jesus sets up for us is not instantaneous, but it's in the methods that are already out there. And Jesus expects that we would take advantage of them. What's interesting is I didn't recite far enough. You know, my memory isn't quite what it used to be. But if I'd taken you all the way to verse 15, Jesus would have found this guy in the temple and he would say, now look, stop sinning or you'll get sick again. This guy has to contribute to his own healing, even healings that we think are miraculously instantaneous. The reality is that God always invites us to play a part with God in our wholeness. Sometimes it's on the front end, sometimes it's during the long process, sometimes it's on the back end. But we will be invited to participate. So let me say two things. Number one, I think you would be way off base in my mind if you said to me, Jesus only heals through modern medicine and modern counseling. Those are the only ways he has chosen to heal in our day. I think you'd be off base. I think Jesus can heal in any number of ways. Some instantaneous, some that will take longer. But I think you would also, in my mind, be equally off base if you said, I trust in Jesus, I believe in Jesus, and so therefore I will not use any of the systems that God has set up for my healing in this life. I will never go to the doctor. I will not ask the counselor. I will not turn to my community for support. I think you'd be equally off base. Now, here's the truth in advertising, friends. Most of you know it. My father was a physician. My wife's a nurse practitioner, and I guarantee you from conversation that they are just as called by God to do what they do as I am to do what I do. My only suggestion is whatever our issue inside, outside, between us and other people, that we look and seek to Jesus for guidance on how to handle it. And then we go where he sends us and do what he tells us to do. And sometimes he may send us to the Mayo Clinic. And sometimes he may send us back in our closet for more prayer. But we seek him first. A number of years ago I was pastor in a small town in a small church and from my office window I could pretty much see everything. And I saw a lady parked in the parking lot and I did not recognize her. And she started walking toward the office, so I I sensed that that's where she was going. So I got up from my desk, went and opened the door of the church, and she walked in. In fact, I'd never seen her before. And she said to me, are you the pastor? And I said, yes, I am. She said, well, I want you to know I have tried everything else, and now I'd like to try Jesus. And we had quite an interesting time of prayer and conversation. And things did turn around for her. But how much better if it had been when she got out, if she had gotten out of her car, walked up to me and said, I want you to know that I've been seeking Jesus about this situation and he has sent me to you. How much better if we went to Jesus on the front end and if he sends us to the pool, fine. If he sends us somewhere else, fine. As we celebrate communion this morning, it is a wonderful opportunity to seek him about whatever issues at our life and see what he might say and where he might send us.